Philippus FM. This program was recorded June 4th, 2021 with Mandy Silva. How do we know each other? And is there a story you remember of our first meeting? So we met through a secret podcast or another podcast. I had not spoken to you or seen you before that moment. I think I actually had spoken to another person who was involved with the podcast first. Yeah, you were talking to my co-host. So the first time we met is when you came into my Zoom room and then and then we started talking. Our first interaction was on a podcast. Yeah, and I think I had a very good first impression. You spoke very confidently, you spoke very eloquently and I was like, "Okay, I feel like this is going to go in a good direction. You got a good sense of like giving taken conversation. Just these are the kind of things I tend to just kind of notice without having much more information." All all three of us had a great back and forth and it was just It was just interesting. I remember after we got off the call, I was talking to the other the other host of the show and I said that was awesome. I said I'm like we should have them back whenever. <laughs> it was just good. It was yeah. just a really good conversation. And so I'm I'm really stoked to to have you back for another conversation. It's going to be great. Yeah, me too. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Wax Museum. I'm your host Alex Williams and today I'm joined by my friend Mandy Silva. I don't really know Mandy, but our first conversation was awesome and I could tell they'd be an interesting friend to make. And of course, how do I make friends? Well, I invite them on podcasts and I interview them. Either way, I'm stoked for what comes out of this conversation. And remember, to make 5 minutes today to listen intently to the people around you. Where are you from originally growing up and then now? It's a strange timeline. My therapist is always fascinated by the term that I bring up, which is a third culture kid, which is somebody who grew up, I guess, moving around different places, sometimes because their parents work with embassies or for other reasons like military whatever, and so they don't end up identifying too strongly with one culture or another. And they end up being like a third category of their own, which is why I become a third culture kid. So I'm definitely in that category. Um, I was born in the states. I was born in Missouri. That's where both of my parents were studying for university. I was born there. We moved back to Brazil when I was like one and a half. So I don't even remember anything from that. When I was seven, we moved to Texas for a year. Came back to Brazil. Then when I was, I want to say. 21 I moved to Vancouver in Canada to study film. I went to Vancouver Film School there for 2 years. It was supposed to be a year and then I'm staying for another one cuz I love the experience so much. Came back to Brazil for maybe a year and a half and now I'm in sunny San Diego enjoying the heat. Mandy Silva, welcome to My Wax Museum. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I'm excited to have you. You I mean the the experiences that that you told me about in your quick questions really got me thinking this is going to be a really cool interview. You mentioned beforehand as well that you're from Brazil, kind of more or less originally, but also you talked about being a a a third culture kid. Is that what you called it? Yes. My therapist is always fascinated when I mention that. She's like picking out she's like What did you say it was again? Third culture kid. This is a concept that was very normal to me growing up, and I didn't realize a lot of people don't have these experiences. 
yeah, when people move around a lot, they might not quite fully identify with one culture or another, whether it's because they're pensioned, the embassy or military, whatever. And I was in the capital of Brazil, Brasilia, in an international school. So we had over 80 countries represented in our school. So most of the kids were kids who were coming in from the embassy somehow. Their parents were doing some kind of international work. Sometimes they would only stay for a couple of years, which sucks. Sometimes they would stay for longer. But yeah, most of my friends growing up were always international kids. I never vibed very much with the Brazilians, which is really ironic. But uh, It's really interesting to me to think of being being a kid because when I went to school I went to school with a bunch of Canadian kids right a lot of I mean a lot of first generation immigrants as well so I I guess I got culture that way but not an international school tell me a little bit about that experience about kind of how how you wound up creating your own worldview just based on those interactions that you're having with people from all over the world yes it's interesting because technically the school I went to it was the most expensive private school in town I did not go there because I could afford it. I went there because my mom was a teacher. So we were still very much normal middle school people or middle class people. The international people who come in through the embassies in their countries of origin, they're usually also middle class living very normally. They only start receiving benefits once they come in through the embassy. And only then are they given a nice house, a nice car, everything paid for, everything covered for, et cetera. So while they did definitely live a very different lifestyle than I did, they still came from humble origins. So I felt like we could relate a lot more, whereas the Brazilian kids, they were there because their parents could pay for it easily. They were there because their parents were super rich, because they were politicians, they were doctors, dentists, whatever. So I don't know, we didn't have very similar world views. And it was just strange to even see sometimes the extremes to where that could go. It was a weird, it was an incredibly small school. We had a class of 40 people. So it's one of those things where gossip goes around very quickly. A lot of Latino kids, it gets a little gossipy. So yeah, it was weird to sometimes share these stories and just be like, you live in a completely different reality than I do. There was one kid at one time who went to Miami and to show off to his friends, he bought a $40,000 bottle of wine. And I'm like, I don't earn that much in a year right now. And I just kept thinking like, man, if you wanted to show off to your friends, if you bought like a thousand dollar bottle of wine, that's already showing off so much. Like that's already huge. And you could still like give $39,000 to charity and actually make a difference. And just, I just started going off on these weird thought processes and just being like, man, we really live in different realities. Yeah. I always ended up driving more towards the international kids. It was a great experience because they all had such different experiences where they had lived. And it was great to like, it's cliche to say it, but expand my view of the world. It really was. It was just sad because sometimes they would leave in a year or two. And so with making friendships, that became a little bit more difficult. Sometimes be like, man, I forced this really strong friendship, but they have to go back now. How, how did you end up making friendships, even though, you know, you knew that people were kind of going away. I've, I've talked to people before where they move from place to place where they're the ones moving and they kind of have that similar experience, but you're staying in the same place and people are leaving you. And so what, what was that like? I think I did recognize that it was a little bit easier for me than it was for them. Cause sometimes for me, it's like, okay, 
I have these five people that I'm kind of friends with and maybe one or two of them are leaving. So for me, it was less of a shock and less of a shift than it was for them where they're leaving everything behind. So it definitely was a little bit easier. Yeah, and I think it was just about learning to value the time that we did have. I've heard a lot of people say like, well, if you know they're leaving, not a lot of people, but I have heard people say, well, if you know they're leaving, then why not just stop the friendship there? And it's like, no, all friendships are temporary to some degree. Like We can still enjoy our time together. So just because we know it's in a couple months, it doesn't make it any less meaningful or any less worth it to spend time with them. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like just because you know that the movie's going to end doesn't mean you just don't watch it, right? It's still a good experience, right? What is the best meal you've ever had? It's going to sound snobby. Gelato in Italy. I know it sounds snobby. I know it sounds like, oh my God, ice cream in Italy was like the best. But it is. It really is. I don't like ice cream anywhere else. I'm usually not a fan of ice cream. But the gelato in Italy was like an entirely different experience. We had it like three times a day, morning, afternoon, evening, we're just getting gelato. Not a great idea every day, but for a few days on a trip, it was fine. And so kind of moving away from the, the friendships and the relationships, I want to hear a bit more about Brazil because I think I think you are my first guest from Brazil. Tell me, I mean, anything about Brazil. What do you love about it? What do you hate about it? What is there? Uh, first of all, our language is Portuguese. <laughs> I have had a lot of people think that I speak Spanish. We do not speak Spanish. We were colonized by the Portuguese. We have amazing food. We have really good food. We actually do eat a lot, but because we have access to so many different types of fruits and vegetables, we just tend to eat a lot healthier. That's something that I really miss. There's one style of restaurant that we have that I really miss, which is called a self-service restaurant. So they put out these big pots of like rice, beans, salad, different types of meats, and you just get a plate. You put on however much you want, you get whatever you like, and you pay for the weight of it. Like you weigh it on a little scale and then you pay for the weight. Incredibly common in Brazil. Literally around every corner is where people go get lunch after work. That's a style I really miss where like, yeah, I can be a little picky about what I like and about the amount that I want. I don't know why it's not more popular. Um, we have coxinhas, which is best thing ever. It is seasoned chicken in a potato-like dough, and then they fry it. And it, it looks like a little drop. And then you like pick it up and eat. So good. So good. If you're ever going to go to a Brazilian restaurant, it might be like an entree or like a snack thing, but it's so good. Highly recommend trying it. It's C-O-X-I-N-H-A. That is my top recommendation. Everyone that I've showed this to has become obsessed with it. Holy so, cow. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at pictures on Google right now. Oh, that looks amazing. Especially when it's warm, fresh, so good. That's my recommendation. I will be eating that for sure. We're good at meat. Our meat stuff is always top notch. Brazilians are very social people. It's funny because both me and my dad, we've had experiences of living a lot, both in the States and in Brazil. And even in Brazil, I was in an American school. So I still had a lot of contact with American culture. And we've always had a lot of conversations around how I guess both of us identify a little bit more with American culture than Brazilian culture if we were to decide at the end of the day. 
and just how different they can be. And it's not that one is good and one is bad. We just notice in different scenarios, uh, there's different balances. So one of the biggest things we notice is Brazilians are informal, which is great for social scenarios. Brazilians are social butterflies. My dad went to a conference and one of the guys said, we notice the difference when there's a Brazilian in the room. Because usually people will stay with the with other people who are from their country, you know, they'll kind of go into little circles. They won't interact very much with each other. Brazilians break those boundaries. They bring people together very literally. And he was talking about how he noticed that difference. And I'm like, that is great. That informality is not appropriate in formal scenarios. scenarios. So I had a meeting once with all of the other class representatives of the university. I was always class representative. I don't know why. People, I guess, think I'm responsible. I don't know how true that is. We had 72 class representatives in the university. I was one of them. I started planning to say, we need to have at least one meeting with everybody per year. It's like obligated. So called everybody, set a time like a month in advance, kept sending them reminders, two weeks in advance, one week in advance, two people showed up. They showed up an hour and a half late. What? And they did not apologize. One person showed up because he was a close friend of mine. So I was on his case specifically to show up. And when he showed up an hour and a half late, and I'm like looking at him like, really? And he's come in, he's like, don't look at me like that. Don't be mad at me. Come on. And he just starts joking around. So I'm like, come on, time is relative, man, and joking around. But he wouldn't just say like, okay, I'm sorry for making you wait, though. That never happened. And I'm like, come on. I didn't have a single university teacher who started class on time. That freaked me out a little bit, especially as a neurodivergent person. Like, I like routines. I like set times. I like knowing when things start. Uh yeah, they would always start class like 30 minutes late, at least. And I was like, do I talk to them? Because everyone's doing this. I don't know. Like, is it worth it? So that informality is great for social scenarios. Brazilians are amazing at that. Not so great for like business, professionalism. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's so funny. I love when 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 that kind of time delay becomes normal, you just kind of everybody just starts thinking like, oh, they said one o'clock, so I guess one thirty then, right? Like that, just kind of you make that calculation in your head, and before you know it, everybody's running half an hour late because, well, I mean, everybody's running half an hour late. And like again, like if it's a social situation, it's just like, oh, we're just going to meet up for coffee and draw for the afternoon. Totally fine. If it's a meeting, you're wasting someone's time. And that was a very interesting cultural clash. So when I had American teachers, I was always late to one science class because it was after the break. And sometimes, you know, we wanted to get food. We wanted to chat. So it would take a little while and I'd get the class like two to five minutes late. I was not like ridiculously late, but I was, I was always late because it was after the break. And this teacher pulled me aside. He's like, Mandy, is there any serious reason as to why you're always late, is there any reason as to why you're having trouble getting to my class? Is something going on? Are you okay? I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm fine. It's totally chill. It's just because it's the break and I forget. Like, I'm good. Nothing serious is going on. He was like, okay, then please show respect towards my class and show up on time. And I was like, dang, nobody has 
confronted me like that, my dad had a similar experience where he showed up to a meeting with one of his mentors like 10 minutes late. And he said, okay, now I've been here for 10 minutes. You have wasted my time that I've set aside for you. And you've wasted yours. Do not do this again. Very seriously. So it's definitely a culture clash of like, wow, Americans really take their time seriously. And that's kind of a good thing to not want to waste somebody else's time. I don't know. Time time is something I, I feel like it would be an interesting thing to study, the difference between perception of time between cultures. Because I feel like every culture has a different understanding and different appreciation for how we manage time. And I mean, everybody as, as well, right? It's not just Brazilians running late. There are Brazilians who run on time and Americans who run late, you know, but that would be an interesting uh, cultural survey to do. I that, would be... that Canadians are more similar to Americans with like, you know, oh, you gotta be on time. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Canadians, we're, I mean, we're, we're Americans in so so many so many ways i've offended a lot of people by saying that i've offended myself i i, I can't control it i <laughs> i i've upset myself i i regret what i said immediately <laughs> as i said it um <laughs> but yeah no it's uh we're definitely more similar to the american kind of culture i do think we're a little bit more laid back though What's an opinion you have that might surprise people or be otherwise unpopular? Mm, I know the steps on toes. I do feel like there could be some logical basis as to why people should not be allowed to teach children about things like the concept of hell or things like how the Bible doesn't teach you that you should trust your own judgment and things like that, because that does fit the very dictionary definition of gaslighting. I know that would never work in real life. Christians already feel so oppressed as it is, even though nobody is trying to interfere in their practices. But I do feel like there's certain things that are not appropriate to teach incredibly young children. And there could be a basis for prohibiting that legally. Again, I know it would be a mess, but yeah. But of course, you you lived in Canada for a time. You went to Vancouver for film school. Tell me about that. Why did you choose to go to Vancouver of all places? And I mean film school, but uh, tell me about that decision and what that experience was like. One thing we talked about with my parents, you know, even though even though we were middle class, we were like, okay, you've had this experience in this international school, it wouldn't make sense for you to just go to a local school. Like, you speak English perfectly, it wouldn't make sense for you to not use that opportunity and go to a better school, right? Especially for animation, which exists in Brazil, but it's it's very much in its baby steps in terms of an industry. We don't have established schools and universities the way the U.S. and Canada do. And so we were looking up universities for me to possibly go to. And, well, with the U.S., we were like, we cannot afford most of this. And I would not apply for loans there, so it would be incredibly difficult. We discovered that Canada not only has a really strong animation industry, which surprised us, but it also has some of the best animation schools, including Vancouver Film Schools. So we were like, oh, that's actually really cool. And because Canada is much more reasonable in the way it approaches its universities, you know, it doesn't have a whole industry revolving around student loans the way the U.S. does, it was far cheaper. So that was one of the factors. 
it is also a great school. I think it's the second best animation school in the world, first in Canada. So, like, it's not like we were compromising on quality by any means. But the price difference was huge. It was, I want to say, like, four times less expensive or more than an education in the U.S. Really? So, we were like, this is at least affordable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and an amazing school. A ton of stuff is animated in Vancouver. If you go, like people, if you go and look at the the cartoons you watch, the animations you watch, tons of stuff is animated in Vancouver. Tons of stuff is filmed in Vancouver too, especially when it comes to television. So many TV shows are done there. So yeah, that that is really cool. Tell me a little bit about your experience there. What was it like coming to a different country and living in a different city? really fun i'd always wanted to study internationally anyway so it's something i've been waiting for i've been saving up for it so i was like finally uh you know that first experience not living with my parents so i was like oh it's good to have a breather um but it was amazing i connected with people there in a way that i hadn't connected with people at my school and i think in part it was like okay we're getting all these international kids they're all from different cultures but you're all the nerdy art kids and so I don't know. Our personalities just mesh really well, not with every single person, but generally speaking, I was like, I feel like I've kind of found my people in a way that I haven't felt before. There are people I still stay in contact with and who are still really great people. Um, I definitely felt the informality aspect of it right away and of Canadians being more laid back. In Brazil, we seem to have a big thing with titles, whether it's pastor or professor, the title is a big thing. They're supposed to treat somebody differently. There is a bit of a distancing because of it. In the United States, maybe to some degree, my dad said he felt that with university professors, you know, like call me doctor, etc. In Canada, there was a professor I met and he had worked in Disney films. He worked on like Lion King and stuff. So I was like, ooh, this is a big person. We called him around like, Professor Drowls, Professor Drowls in the hallway. And he didn't answer at first. And he was like, Oh, me? No, just call me Colin. Like, it's fine. Nobody, I didn't have a single teacher who preferred to be called professor or teacher. Everybody was like, just call me by my first name. It's fine. Every single person really made an effort to be like, you should feel like we're on the same level. You don't have to like treat me with any kind of authority. And I thought that was interesting. Like your sense of ego and your sense of self-worth is healthy enough that you don't need these additional things to prove yourself. And I, I thought that was a very good reflection on it in a way. Yeah, that is that is really cool. And I do wonder if it has a little bit of something to do with it being an art school too. You know, like there's a little bit more creative energy, maybe a little bit more interest in individuality. I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe I'm just saying random stuff. What do you think? No, yeah, absolutely. That's something I've talked about with other students too, where the, the slogan... I think it was something like find your voice or express your voice. And there was a big emphasis on like individuality, really making your projects your own. We didn't do very many group projects. So it was very much like you're allowed to do what you want to do, which on one sense of it was really great. And I understand why they do it, especially because, yeah, once you get into the industry, you stop having that choice. You have to work on the show you're working on. So sometimes university is the only place where people can do their own stuff. 
So I understand them being like, this opportunity is rare. I want to make sure I give you that opportunity as much as possible to do your own thing. But the other thing we mentioned as well is like, well, sometimes the thing that you want to do isn't the thing the industry wants to do. So then your portfolio might not be great for getting a job. But yeah, it's just a balance people find on their own. But then it was so awesome because I think my idea of what art and animation was also really expanded because everyone's projects were so different. The styles were so different. The methods of storytelling, everything was so individual. You could 100% tell whose project, whose drawing, whose frame was whose with a super quick glance. And I thought that was amazing. I was like, yeah, animation is more than just, you know, the Disney stuff that I admire and I grew up with. And there's so many different, like, genre or like subgenres of animation. I don't even know what to call it. There's so many different categories. And I just thought it was amazing to validate all of them too. Yeah. Yeah. Did you kind of start developing your own style of animation and artistry while you were there? Oh yeah, for sure. It's funny because I noticed it less than my friends do. Like we were playing a uh, drawful, which is like a jackbox game. It's super fun. It's super silly, but we each draw our own little profile thingies and you try like on your phone with your finger it's nothing crazy it's like you just draw this little thingy and then it's a little game i drew a stick figure i drew just a, a little person with like two eyes just a super chill person circle for a head whatever and i had a friend like it pops up on the screen but it doesn't show it pops up on the screen with the name and i named it steve and someone was like, yeah, that's Mandy's drawing. And I was like, how can you tell? It's just a stick figure. And he's like, no, but that's your style of doing like neutral characters. And I was like, oh, it's so interesting that you can tell. I don't feel like I could tell, but that's because I'm seeing it from my perspective. So, Yeah, I don't know if I could pick it out, you know, in a crowd or something like that. But looking at your work, you definitely have a certain style about it. And I want to kind of give you the opportunity here now, if you want to plug your work and let people know where they can find you and, and go to reach out and maybe commission something from you, if you'd like to take a second to give a little plug if you're up for it. Oh, thank you. Yes. It's uh, on Instagram. It's Mandy Silva art. It's Mandy.Silva.Art. And usually I put up my commission info there. I don't have my D&D commissions open right now, but if you have any individual commissions or if you want to see if I'm up for a D&D commission, you can always just DM me. Uh, but yeah, I always have the link there. Uh, my website is mandysilva.com, and then that's where I have my official portfolio. And yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I seriously, looking through your work when you sent me the website, I was like, man, they're good. Like, I really like this stuff. What is at the top of your bucket list? Definitely more tattoos. That's like major priority. I'm really picky about artists though, because I went to art school myself. So I have some artists that I like in Portland, Oregon. That's a space where the tattoo scene is really good in Vancouver, in British Columbia and Canada. Not too many local artists, unfortunately. So I'm just saving up for that. Leaving leaving school, what was next for you once you finished up in Vancouver? Oh, that is complicated. Leaving, I my student visa expired, so I had to go back to Brazil. I tried incredibly hard to get a job as soon as possible, but when you're applying for jobs, you then have to be sponsored for a visa, and that's a much more complicated process. Not a lot of companies 
are willing to do that. Not a lot of companies have the budget to do that, unfortunately. So yeah, I went back home. Since then, it's been maybe two years, two years and a half since I graduated. And it's definitely been the quarter life crisis. Yeah, I've been going back and forth between a lot of things. I don't know exactly where I'm going next, but I do feel like I have somewhat definitively shifted from the animation industry, um, just for many different reasons. I don't know. I just feel like I was noticing things about my mental health and the way that works where I'm like, I feel like I need a lot of breaks. I feel like I need certain things to be in place for me to be okay. And I don't know if working in the animation industry would allow for me to do that. And I don't know if it would allow for me to take care of my mental health the way I needed to. And so, yeah, it was this interesting point where I guess up to that point, I had very much defined myself by my career and by my skill level where I had a very healthy mentality of like, if I'm not being productive, I am not a worthy enough artist. I'm not a worthy enough person and just these very unhealthy mentalities, which worked for me at the time, oddly enough, it did help me push myself more. But then there was a point where it's like, well, now these mentalities are being destructive to you. Now maybe it's time to shift to a different mentality of like your worth as a person comes from more than your productivity in your work or from how good of an artist you are. So yeah, there's been a bit of a shift in that sense with the pandemic. Um, I have been building a tattoo portfolio. I don't know how well that's going to go. But that might be the next shift. Who knows? Maybe in two months that'll be different. I don't know. Yeah, well, well, and what's what's cool with this is right now it is June 4th when we're recording this. This episode is coming out January 11th. So by the time January comes, we're going to listen back to this. It's going to be an interesting time capsule to think back and be like, oh, that's where I was at. And now to look back and see okay, where, where am I now, right? And, and to kind of kind of put that together there. So when you say building a tattoo portfolio, I'm pretty un, unfamiliar. Are you like doing artwork that can be made into tattoos? Do you want to do tattooing yourself? Kind of what's your, what's your goal here? What are you thinking about? Yeah, yeah, basically it's just doing work that can actually be tattooed and stuff. You know, work for animation is going to look a little bit different than work for tattoos. Work for tattoos, you can put in a lot more detail and really get into it. With animation, you try to keep it as simple as possible because you're trying to do 24 frames a second. You're trying to do like 12 to 24 drawings in a second. So you try to keep it simple because you got to draw that again and again and again. But yeah, just building that portfolio. And then ideally, I would present it to shops to try to get an apprenticeship. And if somebody likes my work enough and if they see potential in it, they might take me in as an apprentice. There's a lot of complications around that. Not all artists are available to give apprenticeships. Yeah, there's just a lot of complications around that. But that would ideally be the goal. It's also June, which means that it's Pride right now, which is really cool. So it's also going to be interesting to look back because I guess I'm at a point where, of course, it's Pride. It's great. Got to celebrate my brother and sister that's all amazing um and all of my other siblings and that's lovely but it's also been a moment of like okay it's pride I have I have to give context to this six to eight months ago I moved out and I became estranged from my family and a big part of it did have to do with them not being accepting of my identity and the way they reacted to me being queer and you know 
to the point of like calling in an exorcist and all these very extreme things. And so it was a conflict that escalated to me moving out. And so, you know, I've made this very big decision, this very big shift in my life, precisely to honor my identity, to honor my well-being, to honor myself and this pride. And, you know, I haven't quite gotten out of the woods yet. I'm still figuring out my finances. It's still not going great. We're still kind of transitioning out of the pandemic. So, you know, I haven't really been able to form a new support system locally So yeah, like it's June, it's Pride, it's great, but it doesn't feel very celebratory right now. So yeah, it'll be interesting to look back. Hopefully there will be improvements by that time, but yeah. I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to look back and and see where you're at then. And I mean, I, I've had friends who have guessed it on the podcast, and then a couple years later, they go back and listen to the episode and they're like, huh. You know, and so it's it's going to be interesting to see how that continues to to take shape for you. And as you continue to figure out where where you fit and where you want to be and what kind of career path you want to take. So I'm excited to see where it goes either way, uh, <laughs> because your artwork is amazing. I'd love to see it in tattoos. I'd love to see it on my wall. I'd love to see it in animations, whatever it is that you do. I, I'm stoked to see how it goes. And that kind of, that leads me to my last question because we are at the tail end of the episode here. And that last question is, thinking now to the end of your life, when you look back on everything you've ever done up till now and everything you're going to do up till then, what are the things you expect you'll be the most proud of? I think to some degree, I will always be proud of the work that I create. But I think part of what I liked in tattooing was what drew me to art was how I was able to connect to other people with it. I started drawing because I started writing stories with people in middle school and I would draw some of those scenes. And what I liked about it wasn't the art itself. It was the ability for us to connect, for us to do a project together and for us to grow a deeper relationship through this collaborative process. That's part of why I had a crisis in animation, because I was like, well, the reason why I liked animated films was because I got to connect with these characters. I felt like I got to connect with these creators based on these ideas without even ever seeing them. And I thought that was really cool. But I feel like art is a form of communication and it allows for us to connect with each other in ways that maybe other mediums and other ways of communication don't allow for that. And tattooing was cool to me because I was like, well, I'm going to be helping this person express their own identity. Um, I'm going to be helping this person choose ideas that are relevant to them and that they want to communicate to the world. And I get to chat with them for a moment as to why this, these symbols, this imagery has meaning to them or maybe why it doesn't and why they don't want something meaningful on them. And I just like the idea of connecting one-on-one -on -one with people like that. I've had people tell me like, hey, if you want to be a tattoo artist, you have to be okay drawing what somebody else wants, not what you want. And I'm like, I've never had an issue with that. I'm always okay with drawing what somebody else wants because what I like is connecting with other people in that moment. That's the fun part of it. It's not just about me, 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 what am I thinking? I've never been drawn to be a director writer. So I think I'm going to be most proud of the connections I form whether that's through art or just through friendships. 
One of my main goals right now is forming a support system, is having my found family in a way and trying to build that because I don't think I would be very happy or very content if I succeeded greatly in my career but didn't really have any kind of support system. Uh, so I think I'm always going to be the proudest of the people I have and the people I connect with. I like that. I, I really like that. And I know we've actually already gone over what I normally do for this podcast. I feel I feel like we, we could go forever. There's so much to yes, talk about. I'm rambling. <laughs> No, no. I already know that. I know I talk a lot. And it's it's not that. <laughs> but e- either way, uh, I just want to say a big thank you for joining me today. Thank you. And thank you, not just for listening to and supporting the show, but for listening to the people around you. What I love about these conversations is they don't go in any particular direction. And keeping them to 30 minutes always leaves me wanting to ask more questions about their experience. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have some Brazilian food to try. The music used in this program is by Garrett Vandenberg. I highly recommend you check out the rest of his work, which, as a side note, he actually did the original music for my new podcast, The Creation Stories, which will be airing in just a couple weeks. So I highly recommend you go subscribe to The Creation Stories wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, check out Garrett's work as well. Everything else in this podcast was by me, Alex Williams. Now, if you want to support the show, you can leave a review, share with a friend, follow us on Instagram, or support my work through Patreon. Links for everything and more will be in the show notes. And remember, make five minutes today to listen intently to the people around you.